How you doing, Sean? Doing fantastic, brother. Uh, just another beautiful day in our wet neighborhood. Is it yeah. Down yet? Uh, well, yeah, actually the sun kind of showed up, but I've been finding this meme all over the internet today. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Chris Farley from when he was that motivational speaker who was living in the van down by the river. And... <laughs> He, uh, it says, for God's sake, stop raining. <laughs> uh, tomorrow is supposed to be actually supposed to be a better day. So <clears throat> I saw the it's, sun today. Uh, hey, welcome to anyway. welcome to another version of Seattle. It's gonna it's supposed to rain every day in the summer. Anyway, it rains in the afternoon. I just can't deal with this all day rain. Um, you know, I I cannot imagine. I mean, I did it for so many years, but I cannot imagine being me now and having to get up and motivate myself to the fact that I was have I would was about to have to go outside and do any sort of physical activity whatsoever. Uh, I no. It, I'm about ready to make it. I'm making a uh, Vietnam era playlist. I'm starting with all on the watchtower because uh, I got to go cut my grass. And, you know, it feels like it's a jungle out there because I've been cut in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I, I, all I need is the Huey helicopter sound. You know, I feel like I'm out in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to uh, pay the bills real quick. We want to thank yep. Fan First Productions for being our sponsor. And, Invite everyone to go to our channels on YouTube and iTunes and subscribe to the Under the Dome podcast. It will automatically be sent to you as it is logged. Uh, it's really a cool thing. And you help us when you help stuff to that. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to a buddy of mine that uh, recently I, I've reconnected with. Uh, his name is Dottie Hero, and he is the five-star hero that everybody's been hearing about. He does the Saints anthems and so on and so forth. And uh, invite you to his, uh, his channel on YouTube and Google. He's not yet on Google and uh, the iPlay and iTunes stuff just yet, but he will be uh, very soon. You can uh, you can also follow him on Instagram at Saints Anthem. Uh, we he's uh, he's been a, a very avid supporter of ours since we began, and uh, invite you guys to Anthem. It's pretty cool. I, I really liked it. Uh, he shared it with me a while back, uh, and he's one of the 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 more talented members of our Houdet Nation. So you guys fall in there and support him all you can. Uh, we also want to thank Joel Smith for uh, for his 
very loyal support uh, through all the Facebook pages and everything else that he does. Good friend of ours and again, a, a staunch supporter of the Under the Dome podcast. Uh, okay, Alan, prevailing uh, storyline coming out of New Orleans this week is more than likely going to be the the and I I don't like in this word because I don't think it it's it's appropriate for this situation but the uh word to use the controversy surrounding Nick Fairley and his injury not injury uh his condition we'll we'll put it that way yeah. um what it, are you hearing in terms of uh, the latest developments on that? Well, I actually listened to an interview with Jennifer Hale, uh, who actually broke the story on Saturday. And, you know, the funny thing is every time we start talking about, okay, what are we going to talk about next week? You know, the Saints will provide a story for us, even during the off season, something to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this apparently – is a heart condition they will not identify what it is no one from the saints has officially spoken this was a source that was close to nick fairley to explain why he has not been at the meet open portion that's to the media of the otas now they have it they had it last thursday and the thursday before last there's a week this week they started back up yesterday uh so they have one more open session i think Tomorrow, I'm sorry, not tomorrow, Wednesday, and then, uh, no, Thursday, forgive me. I'm like, my week has been an interesting week so far. <laughs> so Thursday will have be an, an open section to the media again, so we'll see if Fairley has come back or not. But Jennifer Hale dug in and, and uh, tried to find out what was going on, and it turns out that Fairley was getting tests run on a heart condition he has had since his days in Auburn. Uh, it was identified in the pre-draft workouts. Um, he, uh, he has been playing with this for the past seven years. Um, but for whatever reason, this he is having checkups on this and he has not been to participate in the OTAs. Now, minicamp, which I believe is in two weeks. I have to go back and look uh, at the schedule. But minicamp is mandatory. OTAs are voluntary. And I use that quotation mark thing because even though it's voluntary, most everybody shows up. Um, so we'll see. If Fairley's not there for uh, Thursday, we'll see if he shows up for the mandatory uh, minicamp. And then we can really make a determination, you know, what, how serious this may be. Um, of course, as soon as Jennifer Hale came out with the story, uh, the Twitterverse exploded. The uh, social media universe exploded with, oh, my God, the Saints are doomed. They lost fairly. He's going to be gone because he may have to retire because of this heart condition, the whole bit, and we really don't know anything about anything. <laughs> I mean, honestly, well, we don't. Let me, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, Alan. This is my, my immediate reaction to everything that's going on now. Uh, I'll put this before you, and you tell me if this makes any sense, if I'm totally off base with this, or, or you know, it sounds to me like 
okay, uh, media shows up for his OTAs one time. They follow it all through this week. Then they show up for the next uh, open practice. And Which has been a reporter back to back days. Yeah. Wants, wants to know, hey, where's this guy that we just gave a big payday to? Sean Payton doesn't speak to why Nick Fairley is out. Mm-hmm. Reporter goes on to uh, – he knows something that's not common knowledge, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, but, I mean, stories like this, when it comes to uh, conditions, obviously this is not anything new. Something that uh, has been swept under the rug and is hush-hush. This is, But it, at the same time, it's not something that they've put on SportsCenter when Nick Fairley was a first-round draft pick seven years ago. Right. My point being, yeah. um, it sounds to me a reporter didn't get what he deemed a satisfactory response by uh, Sean Payton and or the organization as to which, where Nick Fairley was. So he basically took it upon himself to a story uh, and I use I use that very loosely. I, I'm not uh, I'm not in any way insinuating. Uh, that's fake news. That's fake news. Yeah. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's not fake but, news. But at the same time, that's that's exactly what this sounds like. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, Sean Payton, when it comes to injuries, um, he doesn't tell you anything he doesn't have to tell you. He just says the player is not here. And Jennifer Hale uh, has a source confirmed that Fairley does have a heart condition, and he did go see a specialist about it. And that's all she said. Um, She did throw in because this – a heart condition can lead to, you know, possibly the end of an athletic career. She did not say that he is going to, you know, this is something that's serious. She did not say that it. this is something that is new. She just says he has a heart condition that could be career-threatening if the worst-case scenario happens. It's the Twitterverse that kind of ran with it once that was put out there. Um, And I'll be curious to see if Sean addresses that Thursday uh, at at the open portions of the media because we're finding out now that, no, he's been having this condition. This was not something new. Um, So there's a lot more to the story that has to develop to see whether or not this is something that's that if it's not new, if it's something that has happened that makes it worse. I mean, the guy is 290, 300 pounds, you know. And if you have a heart condition and you're 300 pounds, you know, that's not a good mix. But (laughs) if the heart condition is treatable and it has been treated and he just has to go for checkups or more in-depth exams, the older he gets, because the man is what? 28, 29 years old, he's approaching 30. I'm not sure how old he is. Your body changes, obviously. They may want to just follow up and see, you know, in-depth, you know, cardiogram and so forth. Yeah, (laughs) right. 
but it may be something they want to follow up in depth and see what else could be wrong. And it's a, it's a big deal because aside from the fact that, yes, he, you know, you want him as a human being to have a, you know, not only be healthy enough to play, but if it does mean he has to retire, he has a good quality of life and the whole bit. Um, But it hurts the Saints at the worst possible position, defensive line, because here we were thinking defensive tackle was going to be a source of strength, and people were imagining a whole season of Fairley and Rankins playing side by side, providing the interior pass rush. You take Fairley out, you've got nothing really. I mean, yes, you've got Onyemata and you've got, you know, uh, Tyler Davidson, but you really have nobody with the talent level of a Nick Fairley and his six and a half sacks last year that will push that pocket as much as you would hope it could be done with those, with those two guys in there. So, yeah, so that's why that's all what's driving all of this. Uh, we don't know anything more than what well, Jennifer uh, My thing. Go ahead. Sean. My thing is this. Uh, I, I'm getting a bit of a delay. Uh, it may be the yeah. weather that's coming through here. I apologize. Okay. Uh, my thing is this, that while, and as far as this goes, I have a heart condition myself. Uh, it's one of those things that I've been diagnosed with since the cancer, blah, blah, blah. No big deal. That's nothing to do with what we're doing here but that being said uh yes it's serious um and i'm i do not at all in any way shape form or fashion make light of facing fairly or uh facing the issue and as far as that goes prayers go out to fairly because for football it may not always seem that way, but um, comes first. This this is all a, a thing that entertains us, but at the same time, this is a man's life that we're discussing. Uh, and, and I hope that we never get so involved in the other part of it that we don't remember that. Now, all of that being said, I told someone earlier um, – uh, I believe it was our friends at the C3 podcast. They asked me what I do, and I, I just basically laid out everything that you and I just discussed here. And I said, bottom line, yes, it's serious. Uh, I don't think that it's anything new. I don't think that there's any new developments. Bottom line, I think fairly still starts. I don't think he misses a snap based on this. Uh, <coughs> unless it's another injury or something that we're talking about. Uh, in terms of just, just the, discussing now, I don't see this affecting the his status as a starting defensive lineman for the New Orleans Saints in a negative way. Now, that's not to say that anything else may affect that one way or the other, but I don't see this affecting it. I think it was, uh, while yes, I do acknowledge that it's a very serious thing, 
yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's not anything new. Uh, it, it was something that was at, at the risk of sounding redundant. It was blown way out of proportion to have something to print. That That's my honest uh, well, take on it. Uh, and, and I very well may be off base with that. And if I am, I do apologize. But that's just my reaction to it. Well, you know, we didn't know. I, I didn't know that he had a heart condition. I didn't know that in his – I don't remember seeing any of that in his pre-draft discussions where they talk about every possible thing that could be wrong with a player, knee, elbow, degenerative hip, whatever. You know, you don't hear – you didn't hear about a heart condition with Fairley. Um, so, in that sense, it was a big news story because we didn't even know this – he had something like this, and it hit people as this is something new. The good news, if there is any good news out of this, the good news is that he has been playing with this apparently for the past seven years. So yes. the optimist in me will say, okay, he gets some treatment for it. He can go out there and play. Just like he was saying, he can go out there and do what he did last year. He just has to monitor it. You know, if that means going to the doctor more, it means practicing yeah. less, so be it. You know, the worst case scenario is that he has to retire because of health concerns. But the best case scenario is they just have to monitor it, and he can just keep on doing what he's doing. He's not hurting himself, um, so he can keep doing it. It just becomes a fear because, once again, it's an injury, a player you're counting on, and you're worried who who can step up really right now if you look at the roster you think no one can step up and fill that void so that's that's why there's so much negativity about this um and why there's so much concern beyond hoping that fairly feels better <laughs> uh you're really concerned from from the saints point of view um you know how how is this defense going to play which kind of leads into the next well, thing um, if let's look at the defensive line. That's an interesting line. segue into, uh, yeah. into our next. Well, that's what I was say. Let's look at that defensive line then, because let's assume for this uh, for this discussion that Fairley will play, okay, um, and that Anyana and uh, Davidson will rotate, be rotational players, uh, depending on the down and distance. Um, we know we got what we have with Cam Jordan. Um, he had a Pro Bowl-type season, even though he didn't make it to the Pro Bowl. Um, Rankins, we saw glimpses of what he can be coming off of a broken leg. It looks like he's a star in the making. We've talked enough about Fairley. We know what he can offer us. Uh, Tyler Davidson very quietly had a very good year last year as a run stuffer. Uh, we really saw that middle of that defense um, shut the run down. So, and Anyamata had, you know, made some misses and made some plays for somebody who is only in his second or third year playing football, period, not just playing at the NFL level, playing football. Um, the question mark, and this was the question mark before the draft, um, who is going to fill that opposite end outside of Cam Jordan? It looks like it's, it's going to be Alex Okafor. So, what are your impressions of the defensive line in the pass rush? 
Yeah, we're on a delay. <laughs> okay, can you repeat the question, please? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. What are your impressions of the defensive line? And I'm sorry, I'm reaching behind this computer because it was bothering <laughs> me. Uh, what, are your, what are your impressions of the defensive line, its strengths and weaknesses, and who will fill the role uh, opposite of Cam Jordan? I think that I don't know. Uh, probably the the simplest way that I could look at this and really try to word it effectively is that bookend for Cam Jordan is going to be either first and foremost it'll be uh, Alex Okafor the opportunity to make that that first impression. I believe that Troy uh, he's going to have an opportunity to uh, to step up and into that role in a, on a rotational basis. Um, I I have a gut feeling uh, there's going to be someone in house now that quite possibly could step outside of their normal role, um, maybe a Sheldon Rankins used on the outside as a, uh, who knows, uh, I think that it's going to be, to make a comparison, maybe as it's been so long here for, for the Saints, it's going to be basically the same thing until they find what works. Um, it's just going to be uh, giving everybody a shot and seeing what they have to work with. Um, like I say, I, I do believe that it's going to, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, maybe it's going to be Okafor's uh, position to either win or lose. Um, I do uh, I, I really – I'm curious to find out. Um, coming out of the draft last year, the uh, the line on was that he had power upon power upon power. He just had absolutely no technique whatsoever. And uh, based on his limited coaching that he had for what uh, – for him passed as a career, so to speak. Um, uh, I think that it's going to be imperative for uh, Anyamata to take his, take his progression to the next level, so to speak. It's going to be really important for him to roll and provide the Saints with an alternative all the other guys that they have. I mean, if you look at the New Orleans Saints on that defensive front, it's a game of numbers because you have Cam Jordan. You know, as you said, you know what you're getting from Cam Jordan. That's nothing new. Okay, but you got Cam Jordan, and then after him, you have Alex Okafor. Fairly, more than likely. Uh, who else we got? Oh, well, you've got uh, 
you got Daryl Tapp, you've got, uh, we, we're not even mentioning Kihaka um, as a designated pass rusher. Um, you've Davidson. got several. Tyler Davidson. Tyler Davidson. Oh, yeah, as a starting Tyler Davidson. But, yeah, so, I mean, there's several options. Um, here, you know. Uh, I think there's going to be an option. Uh, you're going to face some fairly overpowering teams in the preseason in see not really superpowers. You're going to face some teams that may, may test you here. They're not going to test you there, but it's going to be a good place for you got and to see exactly where you stand. You know, while we're talking here, and I just want to remind myself here, um, I uh, I was going back and looking at a lot of the um, the draft review of uh, Okafor in the twenty coming into the twenty thirteen draft, and a lot of it has been saying the same thing: good pass rusher would probably fit best on the left end pass rushing spot um can play linebacker outside linebacker in the 34 scheme probably fits best as a 43 player um here's the thing with okafor and a lot of people i guess dismiss the signing because he he had some i'm I'm gonna go back here and look real quick um I, I just passed up his stats page. Um, he was a fourth round pick in the 2013 draft. Um, his uh, He played 15 games last year, 13 in 2015, 13 in 2014. Uh, only one game he started. Uh, in 2013, his rookie year, the most he got sack-wise was in uh, 2014. He got eight sacks, uh, if I'm reading this cor- correctly. Um, yeah, his breakout season 2014 started 12 or 13 games. Played, uh, I mean, he said registered team highs with eight sacks, 20 quarterback pressures, and 19 QB hits. Um, so you you've got something there okay um the question is can he I, can he be consistent on while that? while you're you're giving these uh these stats mm-hmm. okay what? I, i'm sorry to interrupt i, I no, do think ahead. it's very important to note i i think it's important to note while you're quoting uh just exactly how talented a unit that he garnered these uh, statistics on. Mm-hmm. Okay, did you? Okay, you're back. All right. Um, yeah. Did you, get, no. did you get all of that? Yeah, I did. That he was he was on a good, talented defense in 2014 for the Cardinals. And, and, and my point is, he was a back on that very, very good Cardinals defense. He wasn't a starter, so 
the the statistics that he managed to amass while he was in Arizona, uh, that came in a uh, in a backup role, not necessarily as a starter. So I, I just wanted to well, point that he, out. He, he did start in 2014, but then he was relegated again. He he uh, he didn't. I guess because of injuries and so forth, he kind of went to rotational mode uh, towards the end with Arizona. But the, the point is, you know. The Saints are going to try multiple things, and they switch to multiple defenses. So maybe a play like Okafor is going to work because he can play that designated pass rusher who can also play the run. So they can rotate him with, uh, let's just say, Kahaka, if he can if he can stay healthy. Um, you know, Daryl Tapp coming in sometimes to play the run. Uh, you can flip him. And uh, Cam Jordan on either side. You can do multiple things. You can go to a three-four defense with uh, with maybe Rankins playing a defensive end. You're, you're with four linebackers um, with um, Ellerby as a as a pass rusher. There's multiple things you can do, and I think that's where we're going to see. I guess Dennis Allen and, and Mike Nolan and Sean Payton really experimenting with a lot of stuff that as fans, we're just concentrating, okay, who's starting, who's playing in the field right now, and that kind of thing. And what you're going to end up seeing, I think, this year with the defense, it's just like how we see with the offense, with receivers shifting in and out, running backs coming in and out, and certain tight ends coming in and out. You're going to see a lot of defensive players rotate in and out uh, based on down and distance, based on opponents, based on formations, um, to kind of throw off or make quarterbacks and, and offensive coordinators really prepare to face the Saints because you don't know what you're going to get out there. He's going to throw everything at you. Uh, we have three safety looks. We're going to have four linebackers. We have two linebackers. We're going to have five defensive ends. We're going to see all kinds of different things come at come at this team. So. I guess what I'm trying to say is you have a better chance of seeing players that can play multiple positions on the field and do multiple things on the field uh, be starters for the Saints defense. And that's why I'm kind of leaning towards Okafor, uh, Rankins, Fairley, um, you know, those kind of linemen that can play both a 4-3 and a 3 excuse me, 3-4 kind of defense and could be on the field for all three downs. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, tomorrow morning we wake up to the headlines that Nick Fairley has announced his retirement. Mm -hmm. Now, please, 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 everyone <laughs> understand, this is a hypothetical this is not anything that I've heard. This is not anything that's real time or actually happening. This is just for the sake of this conversation. So please, no one jump off of a building or anything like that. Uh, in all seriousness, what if if he is eliminated from the equation, so to speak, mm -hmm. it's defensive line? Who who do I see? Stepping in, stepping up in that place, a uh, fairly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that place to start. 
Um, I'd say today you would see Davidson play a little bit more. You, you got to realize that Fairley and Rankins both play the three technique. So they both technically are playing the same position. It's just on pass rushing downs, that's when they like to get the two of them together on the field, get their best pass rushers on the field, so they all are rushing the passer. Um, you know, you've got to realize that a lot of times you would see, let's say on first and 10, a power running team that they're going to play, say like the Minnesota Vikings on opening uh, opening night. You're going to see Jordan, um, Rankins, Davison, and probably Okafor as your starting four, okay? And then if they get on – they stop them on first down, so now it's second and long, here comes Fairley. He may rotate in with Rankins. Um, or Rankins may kick over and you have Fairley and Rankins together, you know, or they may put Kihaka down and pull Okafor out. You know, they used to have um, – um, Cam Jordan slide into the tackle position and kick somebody else on the outside. Um, that's all things that the Saints are going to do. So that's, I guess that's why I'm trying to say we're kind of getting locked into, okay, who is your starting four on your defense when the reality is it's kind of like the Saints receiving core. Um, your starters are going to be based on your matchups, who are you going to play against. Um, obviously, Thomas and Snead are going to start, but and I know we're talking about receivers now, but where they're going to start is going to depend on the matchup because you may have Snead and Thomas on the outside. You may move Thomas to the slot and have uh, – uh, uh, I can't think of the tight end's name now. I'm sorry. Oh, I just drew a blank on uh, Fleener. You may have Fleener line up outside the numbers. I just drew a blank on his name. I'm sorry. Um, you may have Ginn line up on the outside, and you have Snead and Slot and Thomas on the same side as Snead, depending on where the matchup is because the Saints are all about scheme and matchup, identifying the weakness, where can I exploit the biggest weakness. And that is so different, and that's what the modern NFL is like. It's all about exploiting weaknesses. Um, and offensive and defensive coordinators are caught up to that. So they play defensive schemes and offensive schemes designed to attack whatever you can't handle. Um, it's not just, I'm lining up my best seven and we're going after you. You know, no, it's it's a chess game. You're constantly moving your pieces around to find out where, what gives you the best opportunity to win. So you want players that could do multiple things. And, I, you know, I'm going to keep beating that drum because I feel like that's what they want to do. Um, I, I agree. Um, I don't know. You know I come basically the same era. Uh, back in the, the stall back in the Bradshaw – Days where eleven, let's line them up and see who wins. Uh, yep, those days are gone, and it's it's more like I got uh, eighteen guys here. Let me see what you put out on the field, and I'm going to put something out there to correspond with what you do. And, and it's it's so I the 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 way that I explain it to other people is. I come from a 
era where it was basically checkers mm-hmm. and is playing chess. Yeah. Does that make well, you any know, Arch- sense? Sure, because Archie Manning had said a long time ago when Peyton first started back in 1997, um, Archie said he had to learn basically three or four coverages um, as a quarterback. Um you know, because the same wow. eleven, same eleven guys were out there all the time. Maybe a linebacker would go in, and a, an extra cornerback came out. But you basically saw, and we talk. Let's talk about the Steelers, for example. You basically saw in every single down against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you had, you know, Elsie Greenwood, you had uh, Ernie Holmes, you had Mean Joe Green, and you had Dwight White. That's your four. Your linebackers are Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, uh, Andy Russell in the beginning. Um, you had Donnie Shell on one side. You had uh, uh, Mel Blunt on the other. And you had your two safeties. You know, um, that was your defense. The same guys. Down and distance is doesn't matter. Those same guys were out there yeah. all the time. Um, yeah. And, and see, that's, the, that's the that's types of – I almost used an, an expletive there. That's the type uh, setup that I played under. Sure. It, you you weren't limited to situational play so much as you had to adapt to what the other team was doing. It, it wasn't like okay, this is a pass down. I got to. I'm a corner. I'm a cover corner, so I got to go out for this guy to come in. It, it was more of a, okay, this is a passing down. This is my responsibility. So, I, I, I mean, the whole has changed. Uh, yeah, you clearly it's had a all first. about getting a favorable, as you said. Right. It's getting the, that matchup. When you and I were, were playing and when you and I were watching, it was uh, clearly – this is your first string players. This is your second string players. Okay. Second string came in yeah. to give your first string a breather, but they were clearly second string players. Your stars all were your starters. Okay. And what we're seeing today, and we saw it first at the running back position with running back by committee, we're seeing that with the Saints receiving core where, you know, there was no true number one receiver. Uh, you know, it's it again, and then people talk about you know, you can just plug in any receiver you want. That is because <clears throat> it's a system, it's it, it's designed to fit you're designed to get players that can do multiple things so your system will work, okay. Um, and we're seeing all the teams do this. Why do the Carolina Panthers, you think, take um, um, uh, the kid from Stanford, um, Christian McCaffrey, he doesn't fit their scheme, but they took him in part because they're trying to diversify their scheme to make them look less predictable, okay? Give them more options. Make them more dangerous, okay? And we're seeing that uh, Atlanta yeah. Falcons showed that last year. What made the Atlanta Falcons so good compared to previous years? Suddenly now they had two running backs that could do damage where they kept trying to find that one power back, whether it was Michael Turner, whether it was Steven Jackson, they kept trying to find that one back to carry the ball 30 and 40 times a game, just like it did back in the 90s when they had Jamal Anderson. 
Well, that's not the key to making it work. What makes it work is multiple backs. They could do multiple things to make your offense more dangerous. You took a lot of pressure off Julio Jones because you have multiple receivers who could make make plays and play any position in the field so you can exploit matchups. Yeah. Bill Belichick did it to the nth degree when he could put Troy Brown in a receiver at cornerback. You know, yeah. uh, he put, he takes Rob Nikovic, who is a defensive end linebacker hybrid, and uses him as a roaming linebacker and makes a star out of him. You know, it, that's that's what we're seeing now in the league. You're seeing where they can try and make players do multiple things. So, um, and I think the Saints are just, that's what they're doing now. They finally seem to have a defensive coordinator yeah. who is willing to do these things instead of someone who's kind of stuck in a certain mindset and doesn't know how to adjust. Uh, they've got a defensive coordinator now who seems to be able to be more flexible and they can find players now that can do multiple things. Um, you want to talk a little bit about you want to talk uh, a little bit about Yamada. Uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, <laughs> what? Before you get to that, let me ask you this. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is kind of that's not on our outline. I, I grant you. Uh, a year plus in, uh, where do you put uh, Dennis Allen? Uh, you know, it's I, hard. I, I apologize for putting you on the spot. No, no, it, I do zero uh, show prep. You know that. <laughs> I just start talking. Uh, well, you know, all jokes aside, uh, you, you can uh, – I mean, if I if I had to rank, if you wanted me to rank, yeah, if you want me to rank the Saints defensive coordinators, I would put Dennis Allen as probably the second best defensive coordinator that Sean Payton has had, ahead of Gary Gibbs. I agree. um, Well ahead of who I think are the two worst defensive coordinators the Saints have had, um, in uh, Steve Spagnola and um, and. Rob Ryan, but he's not – he hasn't had the success Greg Williams has had. Now, Greg Williams had better players. Well, uh, until the Saints – until the Saints reach another Super Bowl, uh, and as far as that goes, under Dennis Allen, he's always going to be in the shadow of Greg Williams. Yeah. I mean, Greg Williams – Here's the thing, too, with Greg Williams, and people forget. Greg Williams is a Buddy Ryan disciple. Um, so he believes strongly in the 46 defense and, and all that pressure and stuff like that. And he realized quickly, looking at that roster, that he didn't have the players to really run his defense. But he was blessed with a player like um, like Jonathan Darren Vilma. Sharper. Well, and Darren Sharper, too. But Jonathan Vilma, especially who could run his defenses, and he modified his defense to fit the personnel the team had, which is something that Spagnuolo did not do, um, fit the personality of the team that he – the players that he had, and he gave Vilma 
the leeway to call the defenses. He told them what he wanted. You know, they obviously put the game plan together. But he said, if you see something, you can change the defenses. You call whatever you want. And Vilma, more often than not, guessed properly. Uh, Allen doesn't have a Vilma on his team. Um, Spagnola didn't take advantage no. of someone like a Vilma. Uh, Rob Ryan didn't have a Vilma on the team. Yeah. Um, so that, I, you know, I, I kind of put Greg Williams and Jonathan Vilma together as far as, and Darren Sharper, you know, in 2009. But for three years, those three years, Vilma was more important because Vilma basically ran the show. He knew how to maximize that defense, and it was a lot of it was built on pressure, you know. Um, where would I put Dennis Allen ranked against Saints defensive coordinators all time? Um, I give him an incomplete right now. I can't really rank him because let's see what he does if he gets some good players. I mean, he's not Steve Sidwell, who is probably the best defensive coordinator the Saints have ever had. He's not Wade Phillips, Absolutely. who is probably the second best defensive coordinator the Saints ever had. And I would put, I would put um, Greg Williams third in that list. I know people are like, what? Greg Williams got you a Super Bowl. But, you know, those two had the number one ranked defenses in the NFL, um, you know, with, well, uh, with, I, with Sidwell and, and, with, uh, and, uh, and Phillips. You're, you're, you're very, 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 very – very far more uh, versed <laughs> versed in uh, in all that than I. In terms of ranking, uh, and I'm probably the last person in the world adept enough at doing that. Uh, but you... that being said, um, if I uh, Greg Williams would be number one. You can villainize the guy. You can demonize the guy. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Uh, he got this to bring a Lombardi trophy to Poydras Avenue. That's all that uh, that I, I'm concerned with, so to speak. Uh, and as far as Dennis Allen goes, I think he's doing a very good job with what he's got to work with. But until he sees the Lombardi Trophy under his regime, so to speak, come to Poitras Avenue, he's going to be living in the shadow of what Greg Williams did. Well, you know, I mean, my thing is... and I'm this waiting is, for you to tell me I'm an idiot. No, you're not an idiot. I mean, you know, I... I saw, I was around, I watched, you know, the Bum Phillips era, Wade Phillips, you know, and, and I was there obviously to watch the Jim Mora years with Steve Sidwell and Vic Fangio and, and Don Capers and that whole crew. Here's the, here's the thing, though. You look at those coaches. Um, coaches are only as good as the players they have around them. That's why I kept saying Williams was good because he had a Jonathan Vilma to help him. Wade Phillips was good for the Saints because he had a Ricky Jackson. He had a Bruce Clark. He had a, a uh, 
Jim Wilkes. He had all those players, Dennis Dirt Winston, Doc Kovach, you know, and then going back to Steve Sidwell, he had a Sam Mills, a Vaughn Johnson, a Ricky Jackson. You know, he had the players he needed to make his system work. I can run a 3-4 defense all day long, but if I don't have good linebackers, I'm going to get my butt kicked the whole time. So that's the thing about Dennis Allen. Before we start saying that he's no good, that he, you know, he's not good enough, give him the players. I can't think of a defensive coordinator who could come in and take this group of players. Well, I shouldn't say this group because I don't know what they're going to do, but take the defense of 2014 or the defense of 2015 or even a 2016 defense with all those injuries and make them better than what Dennis Allen has done. Uh, you can't I, – I can't see a defensive coordinator coming in and making Jarius Bird a better player uh, than what he showed in New Orleans I, based on the talent around him. He wasn't going to make Brandon Browner um, have fewer flags. I mean, Bill Belichick was able to hide that. But you you have to have all your pieces in place. Otherwise, your defense falls apart. What happened after? Absolutely. Once Ricky, once uh, Pat Sullivan was gone and Vaughn Johnson uh, had the the, uh, staff infection, then he left. And Sam Mills, I mean, Ricky Jackson left and went to the 49ers. And Sam Mills went to the Carolina Panthers. What happened to Steve Sidwell's defense? It was not not nearly as good. It couldn't be as good with players like DeMond Winston and James Williams and Darian Connor and the guys who were trying to use to to replace the Dome Patrol. They weren't as good of players. Yeah. you know, to me, that whole defense fell apart with, with Pat Swilling, uh being traded and then Jim Wilkes, who was the nose guard, retiring. And you had Pig Goff and Les Miller in there. And I know yeah. people right now are Googling these people. Who the hell is this person? Yeah, when Pig Goff and, and Les Miller now I playing the that, nose guard, I, you know, suddenly now that 3-4 defense doesn't work as well because you don't have a guy who can hold up. The, the two gap you can't you can't hold that guard center together like Jim Wilkes could or or uh, jumpy gathers or the players that used to be used to play that position. I'm sorry, I was getting all excited there. <laughs> Talking about these I old think players. the saddest thing. <laughs> I I think the saddest thing that I ever saw, Saints fan. You know, I, I'm one of those people. Uh, Jesus says it's February, it's March. I'm a football fan. I don't like basketball. I don't like ba- uh, Well, I follow baseball, but um, I'm a football fan. Period. And here to the left, I see arena football. So I uh, this has been several several years ago. I flip on a uh, an arena football league and I see jumpy gathers. Mm-hmm. Wow, man! They called him the forklift. Human but forklift. I mean, that was his yeah. nickname, the human and forklift. He was absolutely that. Because when he decided My on it, my whole point in all. Yeah. I was going to say when he, when he decided. 
he wanted to be the forklift. Miss Allen is doing. I apologize. No, no, no. It's a delay. I'm going to get these uh, these issues worked out. I no, it's the weather. It's the weather, so it's no big deal. Just go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead with your. Go ahead with okay. your point. Um, my my whole point in the whole uh, so to speak, uh, Dennis Allen. I I get questions all the time. Is Dennis Allen the man? You've got to take into context one thing. Dennis Allen came along in a line of succession. He came along behind a very public and very, if you want to go that route, popular guy in uh, Rex Ryan. Uh, he's not so much the the big public figure, but he's getting job. Let's let's give him the room to finish the job. Yeah. You know, the, here, Rob Ryan had that success in 2013 because he had the players that could really, that were smart enough to execute his schemes and kind of cover up some of his weaknesses because he was never a detail kind of guy. You know, he was more of a, of a grand scheme kind of guy. And, and uh, we got a lot of success with him that first year because we had the kind of players we had. Um, and then the wheels came off in 2014. Um, the, uh, but that, that follows his, that follows his, uh, modus operandi, doesn't right. it? Right. With uh, Cleveland, with it, Dallas, and then with us. But he had the most success with us. And that's, that's the difference too. Um, the thing about, um, the thing about Rex Ryan, or Rob Ryan, I should say, um, is when things were good, he's the kind of coach Saints fans could love. Okay? He's fat. He's got long hair. He says whatever the hell pops into his head. Um, I remember Ralph Marlboro one time said he would love to have seen after uh, – a game where the Saints beat the hell out of somebody, him crack open a beer and take questions while he's drinking a beer at the press conference because that is <laughs> it's a quintessential New Orleanian. I mean, just shoot from the hip, have a beer, take a swig while he's hearing the question. Yeah, I got you. I got you right here. And him going to Miss Mays and buying a round of beers and stuff like that, that all, I mean, that was the kind of, person the Saints fans because he's an everyman. The problem is when things went bad, that's the kind of stuff that people are the first thing to jump on. Oh man, you're screwing around rather than doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you you don't know what you're doing, that kind of thing. And fans turn on you that quickly. So you know it, it was a it was a love hate thing. He was a rock star for a year and then he was pariah for the next two and a half. Um so, I mean, and Alan is not. Alan is somebody who's very seemingly very cerebral. He's emotional on the sidelines, but he doesn't have he doesn't have that brash, outspoken personality, you know. And that actually is a good thing for Sean Payton because that was kind of his problem with 
someone like a Greg Williams, because Greg Williams used to be a head coach. He used to be he was he was brought up in that Buddy Ryan defense. So he is somebody who is cocky and arrogant and struts around looking at people, you know, and, and that that's that's a tough personality match because like Buddy when he was with the Houston Oilers and even to an extent with the Chicago Bears, you know, it was kind of like, I'm really in charge. This is two teams, not one team. I'm in charge of the defense. I don't give a damn what you guys do over there in Playland on offense, but <laughs> my side of the building and talk to my defense. I talk to this defense. And that's not a good combination for, uh, uh, especially a head coach like Sean Payton, who, because it was successful, did back away because he's like, they got that. I don't have to watch them. Well, they got that. And we, we uh, as part of our build up for tonight, we, uh, we were going to, uh, to revive an old uh, an old segment we used to do called Photographs and Memories, which mm -hmm. um, we will, more than likely we will address that next week. Um, uh, in terms of our favorite Saints games of all time, oh, surprise when it comes to uh, to which one mine because I can uh, I can. As a preview, I can tell you mine is not the Super Bowl and it's not the NFC Championship game. Although the NFC Championship game was a close second, uh, and that's all I'll say. You know, I'm glad you pushed this off to next week because I had I saw that on there and I still <laughs> am thinking and thinking, thinking my favorite all-time favorite game. Because here's a – I have all-time favorite games – you know, from multiple years, um, anytime this, the Jim Morris team beat the uh, – that was going to be a favorite game. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, beating the Falcons is always a favorite game. Um, you know, uh, the 4K game where he beat the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football, that was a favorite game of mine for a long time. Um, you know, it, it gets hard because uh, the, the 42 to nothing shutout of the Denver Broncos, John Elway and the Broncos, my favorite game. That was a fun game. You know, it, it gets hard because I start thinking about, okay, it's a favorite game, but it's also an – how important is that game? How many people remember that game? Like um, – Mention, oh, the nineteen seventy nine game in the rain. The uh, Saints finally beat the Falcons after three times. That was a that was a favorite game. But how do you remember that game? You know, the final score was thirty to six. It was a sloppy, rainy, ugly game. But it was so fun because the Falcons were so inept. You know, and it was like finally we got you. You know, so that was a favorite game. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not that statistically and historically, it's not really that important. Whereas 
let's say in 2006, that Saints Eagles game where we burned off the last eight and a half minutes of that ball game. Um, and the Eagles couldn't do anything. It Deuce kept getting first downs. And this is going to be something John will talk about, things he learned on on uh, on Under the Dome. Um, we were, I was at that game, okay? So this is what we were doing. This is back when you had um, uh, Jerry Romick doing the, the announcer, the, the, the PA system in the, in the Dome. And he goes, first down, Saints! Well, it got to the point because you burn off eight and a half minutes, and the Eagles can't stop you. And it's constantly third and less than three. You give the ball a deuce, he gets the first down. So, and they got to measure a lot of them. So we're all in the stands like this, wiggling our fingers and our arms like this, okay? And there's like a whole row of us. And he goes, uh, first down. We all do it in a row like that. So that was a fun game because the Eagles fans are like, somebody stopped this guy from running a football. And we just keep going, you know, and Deuce just keeps picking up the first down, pick up the first down. So it was a fun game because you're looking at, you know, Andy Reid and he can't figure out how to stop the damn thing. Um, the, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, uh, he had died uh, later on, but he, uh, Sean McDermott was his, uh, his student, uh, Jim, um, Oh, it'll come to me later. I want to, I keep saying Jim Jeff Coke. That's not who it is. It's Jim something, but he, he died. He's a very aggressive defensive coordinator. He's just sitting with his arms folded, pissed off, you know, cause his defense can't stop him. <laughs> and it was fun because if you watch the 2006 playoff game, that's a game where once again, eight minutes left in the game, we got the ball, and here we're doing the same thing again. And the difference is that time we had the scary pitch play to Reggie Bush, and he didn't quite either hear it or quite catch it, and the ball hits his hand with fumble, and the Eagles get the ball, and thank God for somebody had a false start on third down, we will get the ball again. You know, But it was like we were setting up the same kind of ending when we had almost the same amount of time, eight minutes and some change, and we're going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball and just keep picking up first downs, eating up all the clock, putting the game away. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff, you know, I remember when it comes to my favorite games. It's, it's like how much fun was it to be at that game or to watch that game and, uh, and you know, extend the middle finger at the Falcon fans. You know, you're doing it from your TV, but you're going, yeah, up yours. You know, how does it feel? And, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you're a Saints fan. You just, <laughs> you know, uh, Aaron Brooks, when he beat the, Fal beat the uh, 49ers in 2000 on a last-second play, I was screaming at the TV, how does it feel? How does it feel? Because they've done because the Forty Nineers have done that to us so many times. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's like to watch yeah, a Saints game. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to announce that the New Orleans Saints can um, be making a trip to Port Biloxi, doing their. Uh, 
let me see. Let me make sure the terminology is correct. Is that the black and gold scrimmage? See Mississippi uh, for Hall of Fame tour and or Super Bowl road trip. Uh, uh, we want to invite everyone in the Fort Biloxi area to come and try to catch this. And do a personal favor. Look for my man, Jerry Poor. Poore. One of these days, I'm going to meet the guy face to face, and he's going to tell me how long I've been mispronouncing his name. Look for the birthday boy. His birthday is one week from tomorrow, same day as my little guy, Drew. Uh, Jerry Poore's birthday. You guys look for him in Fort Biloxi at the Saints Super Bowl Roadshow and tell him that if you, you saw us under the dome and you want to wish him a very, very, very. And we thank uh, Jerry for his very hard support. Uh, absolutely worth the effort to come through every week. Uh, and we thank all of you guys for uh, for following us on Facebook, for following us on iTunes, for subscribing to our network on YouTube. All, everything that you guys do to support us, we very, very much. Um, also, uh, June 17th at Tioga High School, there is the... Uh, uh, I drew a blank all of a sudden. There's going to be a football game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Keep going. Mississippi versus. Oh, Mississippi so versus. Um, Louisiana. Um, and I, I'm really jacked because uh, not only do I get to meet the uh, the original primetime player of the New Orleans Saints, Joe Horn. I also get to meet Mama Jane, Miss Jane Mabry, uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to uh, to both, actually. Uh, we want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in with us and hanging out tonight. Uh, you guys bear with us. We're, uh, we're working our way through the off-season. Um, we're uh, what was it? 94, 95 days out now? No, uh, we're 97 days. 97 days. Because um, that's the countdown I'm watching on Facebook right now. They keep putting players up. So today it was Leroy Glover. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, it was 90, I think it was Willie Whitehead. And two days ago, it was 99 with Big Norman Hand, Big Wiggle. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's 97 is was today, so tomorrow will be 96. When was it 97? 97 was this morning. Bob Rose had the picture. You know, the the unofficial third person on uh under the oh, fourth person because we got to count Pinto as a third person. Yeah. The unofficial fourth person on under the dome. Um uh Bob Rose, our most frequent guest. Um he did a story on Famous players who wore '97. So, and the picture you had was a right. God, you don't. You'd almost think. What? I'm pushing somebody's stuff. Oh yeah. Owed Bob money or something. 
But I ain't paying Bob anything. He's a damn. I love Bob, man. Bob, <laughs> my brother from another mother. Uh, Bob, Bob lives in Steeler country, so I got to give him break. I, I give him credit for that, you know. I still like the Steelers from my days as a kid. We want to thank everyone for your uh, Lord support. Uh, you have no idea how much it means to us for you guys to uh, to support what we do. We do what we do out of a labor of love. Um, it means the world to us to be able to bring this to you, but you know, it's it's only half of the the equation, I guess you could say, so to speak. We bring it, but you guys there to receive it every day that we do it so thank mm -hmm. you guys so much absolutely thank you guys for putting up with my ramblings and and seeing facial expressions and <laughs> all this stuff um you know i just start on a topic and just start running with it so yeah i've been thinking about all day okay my favorite games my favorite games oh my god what game what game is gonna be my favorite game that won't sound cliche like, I really like when we won the Super Bowl. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. You know, make it a fun story. Make it an interesting story. Okay. And then I start going, <laughs> and when you start telling me to think about games, I'm like going, now I'm thinking about all the games we lost that I thought we were going to win. And that could have been my favorite game, except we lost. <laughs> so I'm thinking like that. Yeah, that's what my mind. That, that would be entirely too wide a ledger. Oh God. Uh, yeah. That you know. That, that, here we go again. I bring up that 2011 49ers game. That was inches away from being one of the greatest Saints games ever. You know, Harper makes an interception, and it's the greatest Saints game ever. Because once again, you beat the 49ers in the last second. They threw the interception, not Bobby A. Bear, you know. Uh, anyway, here we go. Let's uh, let's wrap up tonight, and we'll talk about that kind of stuff in another time when we're drinking and we want to drown our sorrows when we talk about worse games than when the game we just saw. <laughs> so, anyway, good night, everybody. <laughs> I never get concerned until your eyebrows meet in the middle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I got even with this big ass nose. I, you know, there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot they can still reach each other. All right, good night, everybody. Thank y'all for watching. Thank you.